where a couple of old pals meet up and talk about a couple of computer games. I'm Mick Clockerty, and joining me as ever, we have Blessed St. Michael McCormick. How's it going? And the devil himself, Andy MacArthur. And uh, my big sister, Ruth Fleming. Hey! So, what's been happening, dudes? And Ruth, <laughs> what's been up to? Thanks, really. Well, awesome. I, I, I suppose, we'll, uh, I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll acknowledge the fact that after a mere 12 episodes, we have smashed the patriarchy oh. and finally have a female guest. Thank so, you. yeah. I'm so proud to be the first token <laughs> woman on your podcast. Ally medals are in the post, boys. <laughs> so, I guess the next guest is going to be um, your other sister, which will complete the Clority siblings. Uh, well, we, we will have a full set, but uh, probably yeah. by the end of the year, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, when's your mum and dad coming on? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> Mark could talk about Sonic. Uh, this is a true fact that as a childhood memory, I watched my mum and uh, rinse Sonic, Sonic 1 and get every fucking Chaos yeah, Emerald. Yeah. Sonic. Nice. You should get yeah. a Sonic 2 for the podcast. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Similar theme coming up in, in my bit later on. <laughs> oh, oh, right, aye. You're bringing your mum on too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, the comedies are done for. <laughs> season two is season of McCormick. <laughs> oh. I was looking forward to a bit of um, Evangelion chat from Mick because he's just finished watching that. This may be completely incomprehensible. Yeah, and right. No, <laughs> I'm going to level with you. I know you guys might have thought I was some kind of alpha Chad, like super cool guy, Chad, Chad. but I, I, have, I have been watching Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is an anime cartoon for virgin incel losers, and, um, and a masterpiece, like I, I, I rinsed it in about fucking oh, less than a week. I, it's amazing, it's kind of like, it's one of the most kind of highly regarded anime series, um, but in Japan it's also like as popular as Star Wars, for, which is... <laughs> really weird because it's really fucking strange. It's about 14 year olds that pilot giant robots, but it's not really about 14 year olds that pilot giant robots. Yeah. Deeper meanings, uh, there's a lot more going on. But robots, the robots kind of earn robots, the monsters kind of earn uh, monsters, and it's about um, Catholicism and <laughs> the fragility of the human spirit. Wow, that's intense. Is that the robots not a Wayne's game, but it's like supposed to be. Rolo is also about the fragility of the human spirit, <laughs> but particularly your spirit when you're playing it. Uh, it's like loads of layers. Yeah. I've not got much to say about Evangelion. Um, I great um, at, the end of, <laughs> at the end of two different episodes. <laughs> it was Katsuragi with the purple hair, man. Her bits always get me. Uh-huh. And I don't mean her tits. <laughs> and uh, Pen Pen, the genetically engineered penguin who uh, lives with him in the flat. He's never explained, but he's just kind of there. Doesn't need to be. No, he, he captured my heart all the same. <laughs> I believe he was a rock hopper type penguin, which uh, you it. got on the WWF Find Your Inner Animal quiz. Which... Me, me and Mick found out that we had a, a kind of um, inescapable bond when we both took the WWF Find Your Inner Animal. Quiz. Well, not WWE by the way, not their wrestling. 
Yeah, you're another animal as the Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock. It's like a fucking river dolphin. Like yeah, but we both get rock hogger penguins. So that's no, a, that's pretty. Oh. Do you think I got a fucking rock hogger penguin? Got... It's a fucking emperor <laughs> penguin, mate. Oh, no, Jesus. that's the penguin. But yeah. higher up in the hierarchy than that. Well, Ruth was a. By the way, this is a. This and, and also this is a recommendation of a game. Um, go on Google and type in WWF Find Your Inner Animal because it is the ultimate animal quiz. It's I would so think. freakishly uh, accurate, yeah, man. It's a sequel to WWF <laughs> Smackdown. <laughs> you are just saying that as well because you bought that <laughs> cool fucking lone grey wolf Aye. or something like that. It was, no, it was, it was like, <laughs> you know, no, it was like in the hangover, you know, when he's like, I've got my wolf pack. That was like what my description was. It was like, you love kicking about with your wolf pack. Yeah. And I was like, no way, I do love that. But it was also, it was also also pure like you play by your own rules wolf, and stuff like that and then like, somebody yeah. else is getting fucking hippo and being like that oh it must be nice because eh? um, your boss always saying stuff to you like you know you've got to play by the rules I've got a DA on my ass here <laughs> yeah that's what the cable factory is like <laughs> when was the last time you played like to bust my flatmate Samba has been playing it on his laptop alright oh, I've been playing it last week and I've, I forgot I didn't realise how much I actually forgot about the game. What? How far in are you? You know how you get your free dungeons? Three to begin with. Three, I was what? I thought I was near the end of the game. I was like, <laughs> I'm a legend. Completed in about an hour. And then you came out and you obviously get sent to the dark world. Same. Ocarina of Time does the same thing, man. You collect three medals and then you get catapulted to the future where he's an adult, don't you? Uh, yeah. The bunny thing. I, I, was, I thought I was playing like a fan hack or something. Because <laughs> he turns into a bunny if you go in and you don't get your sword and shield or nothing, everything just fucking wrecks you. And you're sitting there and you're going, what's going on here? Because there's no explanation or there's no context <laughs> of what's happening, it's just a case of, now you're a bunny and everything's all trippy and you're just doing that a bit new. I had to go to a guide and obviously you've got to stand a certain bit. And you used an, an FAQ, you, you were a walkthrough yes. scrub. Uh... <laughs> yes, yes, but um, I thought at this point I was near the end of the game. And, um, obviously, <laughs> You defeat the, the baddie in the third dungeon and he says, ah, you're not quite. You've got seven more to do. My big pal Ganon's going to come in and fucking be shit. Aye. <laughs> so I've heard, so I've heard, man, but God, man, Hyrule seems to be a lot bigger than what I thought it first was. I first played it on the Game Boy Advance SP. I think it's SP, is that the one, the square, the square shaped one that kind of flipped flip it up? Flip screen, right? That was a great console, man. Yeah, it was so, so portable. Had <laughs> one of those Mike Tyson tattoos on it, kind of. Uh, oh, you could you could get a version that had a tribal um, tattoo. I Did you not get the tribal one? I didn't get the tribal one. What a fucking nerd. Even, even in like 2002, I realised that it wasn't cool. <laughs> but the one you had first, the Game Boy fans, one of the first people I knew I had it anyway. And uh, never that backlight. I it was purple, you had to play it in um, direct sunlight. Oh, <laughs> actually, <laughs> not actually non direct sunlight, like, just, just slightly off direct sunlight. And they had to change like, the palettes of the games to be brighter because they never actually had a light, so you couldn't see them. There was accessories you could plug it. <laughs> yeah, was that the thing you could plug into the back and it was like a wee light? That you <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and a magnifying glass as well, when you look like the biggest nerd. They had those for Game Boy Color, the old Pokemon yeah, games, the, yeah. yeah. It started to get ridiculous, but like, you started to get your covers for the full Game Boy and you'd walk about with this big massive thing just to get a light. <laughs> and then they, then they just put a backlight on it and all these things disappeared yeah. forever. Simple. Probably didn't take your lunch money anymore from playing it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, primary, nobody really bullied you for playing Pokemon in primary school. Yeah. Pokemon was my knowledge. Yeah, it was really popular. It was kind of sliding Nintendo, wasn't it, really? Like, 
Why didn't they backlight a multinational corporation, you know what I mean? I mean, they didn't. I think it was a ploy to get you to buy their accessories. Could have been. I don't know, because the accessories were always pure snidey things that were called like Wonder Toy and things like that. Well, I I never had any official Nintendo ones, I don't know about yous. No. (laughs) I suppose the colour never had a backlight in the. Normal Boom Boy never had a backlight, but it was kind of limited. Out on those, so you could you could tell what was going on without a backlight. They, they definitely made a lot of money selling backlights, so you might be right. Aww. Capitalism, eh? Exactly. Aye, we're not fans of it here. Nah, well, um, I can't regulated. I mean, I've I've been listening to some more some more podcasts to get a bit of um, context of what's going on in the podcast world. And some ones that I usually quite like, um, they devote half an episode to talking about Destiny Two and um, the fact that you can get lit. 15 different versions of the game based off of who you pre-purchase it off of and the fact that there's all different subscription plans mm. and you get different things mm. it blows me to tears oh, man it's it's people, people yeah. only do things because they get paid and that's fucking really sad like <laughs> by the way have you heard about this blue apron service like <laughs> the right at your door it's oh, fucking it. great yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, I lifted that joke for Wayne's World 1 you know like Graph Auto oh, man I remember playing it on your old DOS PC mm. back in the early 90s and GTA one was fucking clever. It used to be the first time we did that we were like oh like you can get a bonus by running all these people but it was so much fun and then um, <laughs> and then you get it now and literally yeah, there's a casino and you can use real money to use in a casino that's not Grand Theft Auto is it it's just like getting the there's a legal case in the EU saying that this is encouraging kids to gamble like yeah. it's not gambling you're just paying money and converting that into digital money and gambling with it what's not morally kind of wrong but killing a bunch of Harry Krishnas with a rocket launcher or gambling you know <laughs> yeah but you're, you're killing them they're actual Harry Krishnas you're killing them virtually but the money is real yeah. so <laughs> I just wanted to share a small anecdote about the original Grand Theft Auto because when I first started playing that um, I was just a weird kid that would always kind of um, chew the ear off my family about the games I was playing at the time and I told my granddad oh, I was playing this, this cool game called Grand Theft Auto <laughs> and he was like oh, I think I've read about that and he pulled out um, an issue of I think The Sun and he oh, was God. like most violent video game <laughs> <laughs> like you know drive, um, driving kids to, <laughs> to commit crimes oh, so much fun eh man well, if it was your grand, you should have just told him in GTA London there's a mission where you get to blow up a Rangers bus. No, it's in a mission. Like, I go and blow up the Rangers supporters bus. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the bus with the Union Jack on it is the Spice Girls. <laughs> you don't get to blow up then. <laughs> well, talking about tiny, violent, pixelated men. Um, I think we can segue right into cannon fodder. Um, The reason I picked this for McCormick, something that I grew up with, Ruth will have played it as well as when we were children. Um, I've got a copy there, instruction instruction manual and all sorts. Um, And also because we've not really touched on anything with a bit of spicy controversy behind it mm. probably since Night Trap yeah um, and I thought since <laughs> I thought since I was vaguely aware of some poppy furor around um, Cannon Fodder it would be a good one to talk about so yeah. there you go what did you think? yeah so I'm, I'm probably just going to talk quite briefly about the gameplay before I'm getting into <laughs> to the other side of things because <laughs> It's a brilliant game, like, um, the, I mean, the gameplay is, is really solid. It just feels really good to play, the shooting is very satisfying, um, there's a lot of variety. 
It's kind of a, I guess it's like a cross between a shooter and like a, a real-time strategy mm -hmm. game, almost. Um, it was, real-time strategy wasn't really a thing at the time, but you control a squad of these little soldiers, maybe three or four soldiers. You've got around the map and kind of completing objectives. Sometimes you've got to destroy all the bases. Sometimes you've got to rescue some hostages. Um, sometimes you've, you've got to... Um, yeah, just basically like kill the other, um, the other side soldiers. It's at its most simple. The controls are one click moves and another click shoots. So you're just clicking about, moving your wee squad around and shooting. As it gets more complex, you can choose to fucking like split up your team to try and flank the enemies and vehicles and stuff come into it. Um, yeah, it starts off. Um, it starts off quite easy. Um, you're just kind of going through, and you've got a, they've all got a machine gun, and you're kind of mowing down these enemies, but. Pretty soon it starts introducing enemies that can fire rockets at you from across the screen <laughs> and there's a massive difficulty spike. Oh, so you have to get really good, especially on the Mega Drive controller, at you know, getting the, the pointer to the right place, launching off a rocket really quickly so that it doesn't I, like, team kill you. I think basically it's not a great port maybe. I think it's probably supposed to be played with a mouse. Doing the fucking a wee bit of googling and reading about it, everybody seems to think that the Amiga version is fucking untouchable and that the SNES and Mega Drive versions might be mm. probably so. Just a bit of a Mega Drive podcast, but it's like if there's a Mega Drive version. <laughs> we, over, the Mega, I, we played the Mega Drive version of Flashback, we played the Mega Drive version of James Pond, even though they're kind of maybe inferior ports. But I, like, you need to have um, kind of good precision control because the rockets are a tiny wee thing. You need to kind of get it like pinpointed to the enemy that's firing at it before it fires one back at you, yeah. so it's pretty tough to master on the mouse drive. How's it to control the... You know how on the mouse you can control the wee pointer? Yeah. Which goes fine. How is that with a D-pad? Yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, you're controlling the pointer with the D-pad. Is it, it quite is, responsive or...? It is responsive mm. enough, yeah, but I mean, it would be a lot easier <laughs> ah, <laughs> with the mouse. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's considered kind of one of the best um, Amiga games, effectively. It's um, yeah, it's pretty highly regarded. Um, I think it's just yeah, it's all kind of very solidly built. There's a lot of kind of cool wee touches, like a lot of um, cool graphics. Um, there's sort of detailed backgrounds in that. There's all little details and levels. We were playing a level there was a snow level, and there's um, seagulls flying around. Seals making seal noises. <laughs> all throughout the game, it's kind of um, it's kind of keeping you. Um, it's kind of keeping you surprised because it's it's introducing new elements. You start off using your machine gun, pretty soon you learn how to use grenades and rocket launchers, and those introduce some new complexities because there's a bit of like collateral damage as well. If you throw a grenade and it bounces off a wall, you it will kill your entire team. <laughs> well, when when I'm playing it, um, most troop casualties, unlike the US Army, don't come from suicide. But <laughs> <laughs> They, they do come from a form of suicide, which is shooting um, explosives like next to the enemy hideout. Friendly um, fire. Was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that made by a sensible soccer engine? It yes. was. <laughs> and actually, um, a kind of cool thing I found out um, when I was kind of looking into this. So, during the Amiga days, there was a big culture of um, like demo discs. Um, so you get a demo disc in like Amiga format or something, that and that would well, like the early PlayStation, like half of what oh, we yeah. would have sat and played was demo discs. Yeah. Like. But the thing is, like the demos for the Amiga, they weren't necessarily just like the first couple of levels of the game. They put a bit of thought into it. So what they did for the for Cannon Fodder was there was two crossovers between Cannon Fodder and Sensible Soccer. 
there was one called Cannon Soccer where <laughs> you you go it's like levels of cannon fodder but you're trying to kill a football team <laughs> from Sensible Soccer and that came out in the Liga and the, I, I knew about the other one I didn't know that right. one yeah the other one is the other way around where you are the cannon fodder players but you're playing a game of football but the ball is a bomb and if you leave it going long enough it explodes it's, <laughs> um, it's a realistic recreation of so when the um, at Christmas when the Germans and the British um, all play football together yeah, <laughs> yeah with a real bomb yeah so you, you're you're satisfying kind of machine gun and then you start learning how to use grenades you start understanding that it's actually a really good physics engine things can blow up and cause debris to launch about around the map and that can kill people um, and then later on it starts introducing vehicles so there's like a, a skidoo at a level I was playing and that can kind of jump over ramps in the ice level and then you get like tanks you get helicopters and stuff but it's, it's really difficult like that your characters are really fragile so they'll die in one uh, or two heads yeah. one rocket will take you, out your entire party can you die being shot once or do you be shot a couple of times I think machine gun you need to be maybe shot a couple of times, not very many, but a rocket fire. Yeah, rocket. I think, don't see a helper. I, I think you get to take out with one fucking bullet, man. Yeah, I, think, I remember like, dying really easy. They are cannon fodder, after all, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Operation Human Shield, that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, the intention is that you, I think, that you start splitting up the team because you can split up your squad and not move them all at the same time. So if you only have one guy, He's maybe his machine guns isn't as good because you can't kind of mass fire like three or four machine guns at one person, but you're more manoeuvrable and also like if you get hit by a rocket it takes out one guy rather than the whole team. So I think that's the key to figuring out the game. Unfortunately I was not very good at figuring out that part, that side of I, things. I can just about manage turn based strategy, any yeah. real time element and I'm mm. fucked. Like Sorry to get back to us, right? <laughs> <laughs> just reading a bit better. Over at computer corner here, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the Mac. Sensible soccer like aspect. Um right. Now it says here that um uh, basically the game is called Sensible Soccer meets Bulldog Blighty. Some sort of British kind of. British that sounds like a sounded lost to type. That sounds like a BNP faction, to be honest. I don't shoot a messenger, but it says that it was a part of a four-game deal with Robert Maxwell's, who the famous Mossad agent. It was actually like cancelled when he get when he committed suicide. Off a boat. Took us thirteen episodes to call Robert Maxwell a Mossad agent. There was a there was a prototype made when the Daily Telegraph compared it to the Christmas Truce football match in nineteen fourteen. Oh well done. So I guess we should maybe talk I'll talk a bit about the kind of humour and the overall vibe of the game and then the, feed, feed into the the controversy. The the funniest joke for me is that the Amiga version at the very start flashes up this game is not in any way endorsed by the Royal British Legion <laughs> that, that definitely got the biggest laugh for me I think <laughs> yeah I'll go on to that in a second um, the first kind of uh, sign I had that this game maybe didn't take it very seriously it was that the game's published by Virgin but um, the, the guy from the publisher's office is credited and the credit says Mr. Virgin. <laughs> um, You're a music man. Yeah. Let's talk about a screwy theme. Oh, so this I believe is the first game to have uh, a proper theme tune with lyrics. <laughs> um, and I'm not, Andy's going to ask me to sing it here, but I'm not going to do oh, it. No. <laughs> the theme tune has a kind of 
a really catchy reggae it's beat. Like a reggae beat and, um, Aye. It's like a reggae beat. It's like a. It says war has never been so much yeah. fun. Mm. Aye. The likes are. We'll, we'll put it in. Yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's banging. So the likes are. War has never been so much fun. Go up to your brother, kill him with your gun, leave him lying in his uniform, dying in the sun. So Which would be somber if it wasn't a I reggae was song. I say, see when you read the lyrics, it sounds kind of sad, but the tune is actually pretty upbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got a steel yeah. drum sample to it or something. Uh, like it's like music kind of supersedes everything else. Yeah, so I started playing this war game and it opens up with a, a kind of queue of guys, I guess young guys, waiting to, to join the army and then you go for a mission, some of your guys might die and you come back and there's that many uh, crosses, uh, like um, gravestones um, behind the wall but you can see more, uh, more soldiers just lined up to um, well, the top become also. cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah, the more people you die, the more it fills up with the yeah, crosses. Yeah, it fills up the, entire, like, the, the entire hill. One of the indicators for me that it was a wee bit of a piss take was when you beat the first level, um, when you come back to that home screen with the fucking hill, at the top of the side it says home three away nil. Yeah. And then it keeps score of how many soldiers you've killed and how many of the others yeah, you've killed. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, <laughs> like a game of football where, you know, you just, um, whoever gets the most points. And it's literally called fucking cannon fodder, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's yeah, <laughs> your characters, you, you, you lose soldiers all the time. So, um, well, yeah, they're literally cannon fodder. Um, and, um, yeah, there's, there's certain levels that look a bit like uh, a kind of Vietnam sort of jungle theme. Mm. Well, the the oh. third mission's called Super Smashing Namtastic. Like. <laughs> yeah, so but, um, you're playing a you're playing a, a a war game, and then all of a sudden you come across like some kind of um, tribal villages, and um, someone might run out of the village, and you might accidentally kill them in the crossfire, and you're like, this is this is I mean over the top and funny, but also quite dark. Maybe there's something a bit deeper going on here. What I can kind of gather from this is that this game is kind of like maybe one of the most complicated and sort of nuanced views of war of any computer game I think played. And some of that I don't think I've really seen since. I think the, the game is a fucking dadass statement, man. I think it's fucking anti-war. Anti -war, yeah. yeah, it reminded me like a wee bit of something like Starship Troopers. Yeah. Where that film is there's fucking a lot of over the top violence Paul Verhoeven's masterpiece man it's yeah. the future it's over the top kind of um, violence and dark humour but also it's kind of like there's a spectacle and there's a kind of the spectacle detracts from the actual horror do you know the, the did you know that Paul Verhoeven said that um, you know in Starship Strippers the communal shower scene yeah. boys I'm assuming you remember that well yeah <laughs> Paul Verhoeven said that that was the biggest indicator they were living in a fascist state because he was like because none of them are horny they don't even want to fuck each other all, all they care about is advancing the fucking ideals of the state <laughs> yeah I mean as I was saying there's kind of um, you're, you're playing this kind of light hearted wee shooter game but then all of a sudden you might shoot an enemy and they don't quite die, so you just hear them like lying, bleeding oh out, God. and making all these horrible noises. That stuck with me as a child. Yeah. So and private, private Ryan scenes. Yeah. Stick stay with you. And there's, not, you. there's nothing stopping you from um, from killing them, which, by the way, that's a war crime. Uh, that's that's illegal but under the Geneva Convention. I thought it was it's like a mercy though, because if you don't kill them, they keep making the noise. Yeah. That's how I definitely saw it when I was yeah, playing it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> under, 
Do you think that should be allowed on a battlefield? Under international law, though, should they be considered prisoners of war and treated by your medical staff, but in this game, <laughs> you kill them. What if they were Nazis? Well, oh. still illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this game has a, a kind of kind of violent and sort of um, bombastic veneer, but hiding a kind of anti-war message. And the gaming press at the time caught on to this. In the Amiga format review, it um, actually says that this is maybe the best sort of uh, anti-war mm. game I've ever played. Um, and there is also a message in the, the back of the manual of the game which says, and on a more serious note, don't try playing this at home kids because war is not a game. War is canon for the demonstrates in its own quirky little way is a senseless waste of human resources and lives. Mm. We hope that you never have to find out the hard way. But the, the, the mainstream press will pick up on the irony of it, I think. Um, I, we're, we're all adults here, like, they, they'll, they'll get that, surely, mm. as well. Yeah, you think the, the kind of balanced and respectable British press would, um, would maybe understand that, but, yeah. <laughs> right, this game probably could have passed um, the press by without any controversy. Could they just been a moderately successful Amiga game? But there was one thing that happened. There is a graphic in this game that you see when uh, soldiers have died, and it is a, a poppy. And it's also in the uh, intro. It's in the intro yeah. as well. The poppy being a, a kind of symbol of remembrance yeah. that is used by the Royal British Legion. Mm. Some might say a flagrant symbol of jingoism in 2019. Yeah. Mm. Or so, beating fascism, depending on where you look at it. Well, so what I would say is, after World War One, we started celebrating uh, Armistice Day, which is kind of a remembrance of the soldiers that died during World War One, and the Royal British Legion raises money f uh, for this by selling poppies. And because of the famous poem uh, on Flanders Fields, which talked about poppies growing in the fields of France, when soldiers died. So this is kind of um, a thing that's like viewed throughout the Commonwealth, um, a kind of uh, a sort of remembrance day. And the idea of the poppy has become a kind of element of the kind of identity politics of the left and the right in British politics and the Commonwealth politics. And so Scottish football. Uh, and <laughs> Scottish football, which I've is, got, I've got a point to make which is a whole other thing. <laughs> um, so... It's turned into one of those mini American flag pins that happened after 9-11. Yeah, um, you if you don't wear it, you hate the army. Or I don't yeah, know. Channel like, uh, newsreaders hounded Jon Snow on Channel 4. Jeremy um, Corbyn, like, your poppy's not big enough, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, Jon Snow from Channel 4 and not Game of Thrones said that <laughs> um, he decried something called poppy fascism. Oh, so yeah. this is this idea that... There's some complaints, rightful complaints, um, on the left, and people saying that they won't wear the poppy because they think, rather than a symbol of remembrance of who died during the First World War, they would say, actually, the First World War was a mistake, it was kind of imperial overreach, a lot of innocent working people died, and we think that people who are promoting the poppy are trying to draw a line between that war and the Second World War, wars that people think were maybe just to current wars such as Afghanistan, Iraq, and trying to like almost legitimise them. So And uh, the occupation mm. in Northern Ireland. Yeah, like, so that's kind of a, a, another strand yeah, of things. Yeah. There's not been a lot of people, people, like, people that died during the wars. That's, that's, a, that's <laughs> the, the, the point that was originally made. Like for the families and stuff always have like a, a, a remembrance thing that they can all kind of look at it and say, right, okay, we've got a communal consensus of spirit. That's the original right. idea, but it's kind of it's been argued that some people are trying to have twisted that message a wee bit. Well, yeah. So, and also, as you said about, about Ireland, so 
there's a lot of people on the left that are um, pacifists that don't support the idea of um, a poppy, wouldn't wear a poppy, wouldn't give money to the Royal British Legion. A lot of people in Northern Ireland, especially Republicans, would not want to be seen to be giving money to an organisation that is an arm of the British Army when the British Army is was on their streets from the, the 60s through to the 90s as a kind of occupying force because the troubles was going on and they seen violence committed by the, the British Army towards um, Irish citizens. So they would, they would never be seen to be wearing a poppy. But on the right, that has now become a sort of stick to beat people on the left with. It's, in, it's kind of used as a thing like, if, you're, if it's this time of year and you're not wearing the poppy, then you're not patriotic, you're mm -hmm. not British. You see what? boomers constantly going on about yeah. um, how Pickles, they had... That's a new word, then. That's a new thing. They had yeah. fucking... Uh, <laughs> or my dad fought in the war or yeah. whatever. Like. Well, it's a bit like, you know how in America it's like very much thank you for your service and that's yeah. like... Oh my God, it's so sickening. Yeah, <laughs> they're really trying to like glorify soldiers, but then when they come back from war, they just don't give a fuck about them and half of them end up homeless and stuff. Uh, well... So what I wanted to say was, when I was going to do the reading about this cannon fodder bit, I was expecting poppy outrage, poppy fascism, mm. what we were talking about. Yeah. Um, I found one article from the Daily Star in 1993, which I think you're probably going to refer to as well. Yeah. Um, the newspaper quoted the Royal British Legion, Liberal Democrat MP Sir Mingus Campbell, oh. um, and Viscount Montgomery um, oh. calling the game offensive to millions, monstrous and very unfortunate, <laughs> respectively. Um, that was the one article I could find, yeah. right? Now... Sorry, I didn't, I didn't quite mention, so um, to, what kind of ties this together is that the Royal British Legion complained that Sensible Software were using the image of the poppy um, and didn't want them to use that, um, and that's what brought the game to the attention of the, the British press, which uh -huh. is why you start getting these articles in the, the, the Daily Star. Mm -hmm. well, I wonder why there's so much hysteria in the 80s I, for I, games, man. Mortal Kombat got up your pace in as well, didn't it? This what? is part of that tradition. What I was going to say is that I could find relatively not that much hysteria. I could find that one article that I was talking about in one paper, and I'd like to compare that to now. So since 2010, Andy, as you'll be well aware, in the English Premier League, they started wearing a poppy yeah. on their uh, shirts, yeah, for remembrance. Like. Scottish League followed suit. Now, there's a guy who was born in the north of Ireland called oh. James McLean, who, as you were saying, for reasons outlined by Mr McCormick, um, would rather not have the poppy on his shirt. Yep. If you Google James McLean poppy, you will comb through dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of fucking articles about James McLean not wearing a poppy. Yeah. I reckon a fucking cannon fodder had been made post-2010, there would have been... Like, they wouldn't have even had the fucking poppy graphic in it. They wouldn't have yeah. fucking had it on the shelves with that yeah. shit, man. Yeah. Like... It's, it's too controversial, it's become like a really controversial story. Yeah, I think it's kind of been intentionally twisted, whereas at the time it might have been considered a, a genuine symbol of remembrance, mm -hmm. it's now maybe more of a symbol of um, ongoing war and whether or not you're behind well, it or not. Well, um, if you want to read a wanky, um, sort of pseudo-liberal op-ed on the subject, a young writer called Mick Clockerty <laughs> uh, wrote one a couple of years ago, Titled Why We're in Danger of Needing a Poppy to Remember the Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to read um, the, this article from the Daily Star, a small excerpt from it. <laughs> okay, so what the Daily Star says about this game, obviously not understanding this kind of complex um, nuanced view on what that the game presented, and what it says is the poppy is a sacred reminder of the men and women who gave their lives in two world wars. 
How sickening is it to see it being abused to sell a savage computer game? Distributors say the poppy is there to remind the customer that war is no joke. That's just publicity rights as hypocrisy. Computer game designers compete to glorify war and viciousness. How dare they use the poppy to turn truth on its head? Make sure you don't buy this shameful game. So what I wanted to say about that is... Yeah, compare it to fucking Modern Warfare or any of these yeah. fucking... Today, <laughs> right, so this is part of the tradition that Andy talked about with Hysteria, about Mortal Kombat and Night Trap. Video games are turning your kids into cold-blooded, psychopathic murders. That's kind of what the Daily Star is getting at, is that this game promotes war and that mm. that is a bad thing. I think the media now has become so on board with kind of ongoing war that you you would never get an article like that now. You, games come out like um, like your kind of modern warfares and stuff mm. that have much more violence than something like Cannon Fodder, but it's not questioned, it's not interrogated in How a way like Cannon Fodder does. There's a cracker episode of a podcast called Eyes Left, yeah. which is about um, two ex-servicemen in the US who are socialists, um, talk about how video games have been used as a fucking recruitment tool over there yeah, for the actual yeah, army. Yeah. Like, okay. but the the army have fucking bankrolled video social. games, man. Like, it's it's a, it's a fucking it's a good lesson. Because you're sort of like desensitising them to violence, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. So you got a game that comes out just now, and I think like in indie games that maybe deal with the idea of war are um, probably quite heavy-handed in the other direction. AAA games that talk about war don't have any sort of critique at all about what's happening. You get something like the most recent Modern Warfare game, starring Kevin Spacey in a role that won't age very well. <laughs> Kevin Spacey is a, an, an arms dealer, and in that game you are um, you do some missions for this arms dealer, I think it's like a private military corporation or something, and then you find out that he has a plan to take over the world because he thinks that American military dominance is time has come and they need to be supplanted. And in the end of the game it's like, is that a good thing? Is it right? Is it wrong? Uh, we're not going to answer that question. <laughs> like we're not we're not going to take a stance. One of those games has a, a really confused ending. One of those games has a button prompt that has you drop white phosphorus on a village. Yep. <gasps> oh yeah. Oh it's like, that's like the start of uh, the Running Man. <laughs> oh, like, oh yeah. Like, they were trying to make them drop the the napalm on the village. You're saying people start programmed that, isn't it? It's just, but I think it's just like now there's, it's just not a lack of awareness. I think it's just the norm now. It's become so, the norm. It's not challenged in a way that something like Cannon Fodder did, and it should be respected for that. The, the, the lads at Sensible Games made a sort of glib, tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a wee bit disrespectful the way the theme tune and the way yeah. they use the poppy and stuff like that. But, but they had a fucking damn good point to make. Yeah, and also they pure make you sit through when your guys die you have to sit through like the remembrance and it pure brings up all their names and as if being a... like these aren't just cannon fodder they're actually people. and they all have a yeah. fucking grave yeah. like yeah so it's like yes yeah, it's not just a wee guy on the screen dying you know that could yeah. be chris so uh-huh. you've had a life for 10 yeah. missions like yeah, yeah. cannon fodder to who you know so, yep so yeah that's all i wanted to say about cannon fodder and i think there should be many more games like it <laughs> that brings us cheerfully on <laughs> And now for something yes. completely different. And that was very edited as well. To uh, a game that I love, <laughs> but that <laughs> might be hard to love. See, um, love, love isn't always a, like a positive thing. Yeah. Love well, can be hard and difficult. And... Ruth, <laughs> would you like to talk about why you chose 
Roll to the rescue for Andy Mack. Aye, oh man. Right, this is one of those games where I have quite a lot of fond memories playing it because I, I quite like, you know, cutesy animals and stuff. And I remember playing it as a child and being like, oh, you get free all the animals. But I was shit at it. Like, I was completely shit at it. I could not get Rolo past, like, I don't know, the third level or something like that. And I just thought, right, this is obviously because I'm a Wayne and I'm shite. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back and played it, like, with, with you as an adult. And I was like, Oh, it's not because I'm shite, it's because this is a fucking horrible game. Like, it's the pure worst thing ever. Like, it's not intuitive like, at all. It's fucking impossible. Like, I was, you know, I was safe scumming, like, fuck. And I still could not get past. There's, like, this mad circus guy who throws knives at you. Like, I literally have no idea how you do it. So, yeah, that's why. I think I just wanted somebody else to suffer with me. Just yeah, feeling. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm like yourself. I actually had this game when I was younger as well. Um, the thing that stands out for me is the actual game. It's the... Remember the EA cartridges? Right. Had, like, yeah, the I yellow bit. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> you I, mentioned it before, but it's really stuck in your mind. <laughs> Andy, you seem to have a weird fondness for the yellow bit. You had a twinkle in your eye and you were like, remember the yellow bit? <laughs> I guess, uh, physical games something I like. And I've, 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 I've got a copy here. It's a wee bit different, you know, cause even like FIFA and that had the, the yellow thing, you know. I think it was EA games. We had uh, Urban Strike, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that was great, but anyway, you, you feel as if your money's worth you. I don't know, man. A lot of rubbish. For kids! Right, far removed from um, war and death and cannon fodder. Unless you're talking about the death Circus of animals. fucking innocent uh, circus animals, man. Like rabbits and beavers. It's about a cartoon elephant, man. Cartoon elephant. With really sad eyes. I know. You've seen a lot of shit. And it, I didn't really realise the storyline until I played it about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it, turn, it turns out that um, it has got quite a sad storyline. It's what to do with like, circus animals and stuff. And Rose, uh, Rose, a child elephant yeah. as well, trying to get back to his mum. Oh, yeah. is that? Yeah. Ma- it never ever tells you that. I think it's an ins- I think you need the instruction manual oh, for it. Oh, right, okay. Which um, we, my auntie had it, and I think it was just the cartridge, oh. and we didn't. Because I used to read instruction books, I yeah. remember reading yeah, backstories for Golden Axe yeah. and shit. Like. So it's a, a two, it's a 2D platformer at heart, but it's got uh, it's, it's less a platformer, in fact, than a puzzle game, because the levels are sort of. they don't scroll very much. Um, they're maybe just some of the levels are oh, giant, man. Yeah, they they scroll for a long time. Yeah, uh, and you can. They're like some of them go vertical as well. Like some go in there. No man, it's a yeah. it's a fucking you mixed get, bag. You get that one, eh? You different... can jump like halfway across the level and yeah. one go. And right into some water. <laughs> Aye, and right into the thing that's waiting to kill you just off the screen. Which <laughs> yeah. is... So you've got it's hard, but you do is you've got to um, you see this this guy. You've got to get the key off him, and then get the animals who are. Uh, rabbit, mole who can dig holes, rabbit can jump high, uh, squirrel can climb, nah. and there's a rubber dinghy. A beaver. A beaver can swim. He can yeah. swim, aye. Whereas water's fatal to everybody uh, yeah. else. Aye. Yeah, it's a puzzle it's a platform where you've got to use the different abilities of these different animals and to they, get through the level. Yeah. The aim of the game is to get jigsaw pieces to go to the next part of the game. But there's secret uh, jigsaw pieces as well that can unlock different parts of the map. Yeah. So yeah. And Rolo's quite limited in his movement, so he's, yeah, he's there's certain places you can't get to as him, so you have to use the other animal's abilities. One thing I would say though, and I mentioned this to Ruth earlier, mm-hmm. 
Um, circus animals, man. When you ever seen an apple rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> Come and see the amazing bull. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, oh, like, I don't understand it. What the hell? It could be like a, it could be a circus that's touring Africa, and they're, they're used to lions, zebras. Like, Whoa, a rabbit! <laughs> 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 but um, the game is really fucking hard, man. Yeah, it's just but I, I, I like that it's hard. I like that you have to use your noodle a wee bit. Um, it's like unfairly hard, you know, uh, like because you collect animals so that you can do these puzzles, but you can only ever have three animals in your team. Right. And sometimes it purposely gives you more I animals. Yeah. Animal yeah. You so you, you end up knocking out an animal that you need. So you need to pick the animals up in a specific order. So you have to, well, that, why is that? Because it's so why is that a negative? You have to go back and think about it and do it in the order. Right you become as bad as the the ringmaster because you're no. saying the animal surplus to the requirements. No. Get to fuck. No. <laughs> Not so. Because Andy, you... And are you saying this is like the gaming equivalent of an animal farm? <laughs> where, you know, all animals are equal but some, some animals are more equal than Um No, because you have to rescue every animal on the stage but, yeah, some, but sometimes there's a, an order that you have to pick them up in. Yeah. So if there's a rabbit you have to jump over at the start of the stage that might be surplus to requirements, you will have to go back yeah, and get him. Um, and speaking of good endings and bad endings... Um, His mum dies at the end or something, did she? No. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. <laughs> what, the bad ending? No. Like, are you not like that dumb or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> Family. Last <laughs> well, not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to massage that a wee bit for you. And neither the good ending nor the bad ending, there's rollos and all that. Right, The bad content The bad ending is mere bad for Rolo's mental health. <laughs> so, Rolo escapes, you get the same scene in either one, but it's the mammy elephant and Rolo runs up. And he's on him, the animals are left behind. That, that's, that's it in a nutshell. It says that he never has another happy day. Um, <laughs> Because yeah. because he's so consumed with the guilt of leaving all the other animals behind. Oh, that's, um, that's, that's, and the only thing that's going to save him is the reset button, man. <laughs> um, and the good ending, you have an elderly, bespectacled Rolo smoking a pipe. Um, <laughs> and there's a little sleeping elephant in a bed. Oh. And uh, he, sa <laughs> he says the following. And that's how I escaped from the evil circus. Sweet dreams, little Rolo Jr., and if you're good tomorrow, I'll tell you about the time I met David Attenborough. <laughs> no way! Does. Oh my god! <laughs> British games didn't give a fuck back in the day, man. They, they were all sponsored by Penguin Biscuits and shit as well. Like. <laughs> what else has been done? It cannot utilise power-ups. Well, because oh, I, arguably, like I, mm, like, I don't know. I, like, how, no, there's like, so many. The, the correlations are questionable, right? That. Like, uh, a washing machine makes you be a glass of water gives them um, oh, water projectiles. And the Hoover lets you suck up like, um, CDB hedgehog kings that run about. You can yeah. suck up like, small bodies and fire them at other bodies. So, like. why does. Um, right, so he loves the squirrels, he loves the moles, he loves the rabbits. The hedgehogs can get a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hedgehogs, aye. It just jumps. They're not as equal because I mean, it, it was developed by the same people that made James Pond 3, which we talked about last week. He makes a cameo. 
Yeah, he does. Yeah. Well, James Bond makes a cameo in Rome. James, ah. James Bond. James, James, uh, James Bond. Uh, um, James his aquatic hero played. Yeah, he played it in the last episode. And he fucking completed it. The Mad Bass Club. Should I go have him play Rolo? Where would I fucking finish that? No, I think he'd have had a mental breakdown. He finished James Bond three by the same mob that made this. Is James Bond hard? I couldn't get past the third level. Is that a bit of frog? Uh, so James, James uh, Bond is a fish secret agent. Starfish. Um, he's not a starfish. <laughs> is he not? No. It's called Operation Starfish because he goes to the stars. He starts off <laughs> in, the first, in the first game, he is a fish. In the second game, the, desi- the design changes. Codename Robocop. Towards the third one, he looks fuck all. He's a fish. A lot of this reminds me a wee bit of James Bond. Um, the kind of the verticality of the levels, mm-hmm. the fact that you have. Animals that can are really maneuverable, and like the the rabbit can jump really high, Ridiculous. but but the levels are not designed for it because you'll kill yourself if you try and jump that fight or run that fast. You're like punished for it, and doing the animals controls are they're not intuitive. Like with the squirrel, how you were saying earlier, like. You were trying to jump up, like climb up the wall, but you can't really you climb up. Jump, but you need to climb, climb up. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just not fun. To it do. The game doesn't hold your hand. Yeah. It, it's sort of got to work out for yourself. And that's it's, it's, it's to an extent where you kind of get fed up by level three. Right? A lot of the stuff you mentioned old before. I, a lot of the stuff you mentioned earlier was those are old school things, like things that you would in a in a modern game where you expect just to be handed that yeah. and play it like the fact that you have to have a certain order that you get the animals in yeah. like that just wouldn't be a thing in a modern game but in an older game yeah if you don't get the right order um, you're fucked and people fuck don't you. have the patience nowadays can, to do uh, shit like that not the attention like, span no, yeah the controls are quite slippery as well oh yeah you can do the hill sometimes straight in the alley I would go back on that a wee bit because I think something like uh, Dark Souls is a bit of a reaction against games being too easy and too handholdy. I think there is a, a trend now of Intentionally quite hard and challenging games. But this was just not things at a time. That's, this wasn't yeah. intentionally I, made solid. This I, is just how they made games. Well, I don't know. I remember reading this thing about the Lion King game because you know how that has a ridiculous difficulty yeah. spike where you kind of do the first level. I was a bit surprised okay. you didn't pick that for this. Oh, oh, yeah, I like that as well. And then you get to like the second level, and all of a sudden the game's like much much harder. Mm. And one of the like quotes from one of the developers was like, "Was like, why did you make this game so hard? It's like kids." game and he was like well I thought if people like could complete it they wouldn't want to buy it you know because I think you wanted to get the most money out of your game by playing it and if you completed it straight away then it was like see what we've touched on in the podcast before is that these cartridges were quite expensive Mm -hmm. so there's a reason why most of the games you played as a kid you would get fucking shafted on like level 2 and have to just keep replaying it because if you paid 40 quid for something that you beat in an afternoon like whereas they're, they're more inclined to churn that out now just to yeah. try and keep the fucking wheels well, games now, games now right. have a lot more content so they want to make it easier so that you see all the content whereas an older game had less content but they made it difficult so that it took you longer uh, to get through it also at the time uh, sort of anthropomorphic animals were all they, oh, they were in vogue weren't they uh, but <laughs> everyone's uh, trying to make the next Sonic but <laughs> oh, had a, was oh, not. Sonic had a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of competition with it Sonic, Mario um, who could so, forget Luminaries like Bubsy? Oh, do you know what I mean? Bubsy, man, I love Bubsy. <laughs> oh, you, you'll have a Rolo effect if you go back and try oh, to play that. Oh, really? I yeah. fucking love Bubsy. <laughs> I thought it was dead funny, the, y- the Yarny monsters and that. Oh. I'm guessing the Willies. The Willies. The art style was basically part of trying to jump on that bandwagon, but for whatever reason, they never had enough kind of characteristic 
you know, things to make them look. The, it doesn't even know. really look like yeah. an elephant. No, no, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and I was saying the the guy with the keys, the circus guy, he, he's got a bit of a pedo look uh, about. He does. Him. Well, he looks homeless. He, yeah, he's, well, he's yeah. wearing like he's Get got a kind of beard and he's got like a trench coat and a big uh, hat. It's a bit creepy. Well, as if he's going to open that trench coat, and there's nothing underneath. One thing I would say in this game's defence, and it was one of the few things I found that I liked about James Pond 3 was bang for your buck. There are fucking millions and millions of levels in this. Any final thoughts about Roll to the Rescue? Do you know what? It's, it's well designed. Um, it's got its flaws. It's not a kid's game. I wouldn't say it's a kid's game. But kids are very different today than they were then when it came to video games but, or mm. computer games. I loved it as a kid. But, um, but, I loved it but, but in spite of not being able to probably get but, past like the fourth level. Well, you were saying that about Cannon Potter as well. You loved it despite only getting a few missions into it. Mm. What, I, what I would say is it's quite hard to get to grips with. Um, if you're going to want to play a platforming game, I would never recommend Robot to Rescue because <laughs> no. it's going to fry your brain. I'd, I'd say Robot to Rescue is a unique game on it sits on its own because there's not much else like it. Even mm. Flink. Fucking, <laughs> fucking! You saw uh, kids these days when they brought out Crash Bandicoot again. We're going, oh, this is harder than Dark Souls. They're like, it's no. <laughs> That's just how it was, man. <laughs> Back in the day, I could get all the diamonds in the first Crash Bandicoot. Which is a fucking obscene accomplishment, uh, uh, by the way. I bet you can do that now. Oh man, I tried to do that. There's a level slippery climb, and I was like, how the fuck did I do that? Have you played the the remaster? Yeah, I played it all. Yeah. Did you try the level they get fucking cut and they, but they put back they like remastered it and put no, this cut level back in do you not need to unlock that or something it's a free download oh, man, no, which is fucking it. cool a mm-hmm. naughty dog or whoever mm-hmm. the fuck has it now mm-hmm. but um, Robo, um different it's a different game um, puzzle platforming aspects and uh, it never had a chance man because the only cartoon elephant worth it's salt it's Dumbo in it so he's never going to kill <laughs> Baba 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 Nelly I mean you've oh, seen oh, a shot of someone put Nelly so I think that there's, there's no segue here um, <laughs> McCormick why did you pick Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis for Ruth right so this is one of my absolute very earliest very very earliest gaming memories for me because what I used to do as a little kid, before I was even in primary school, I would sit on my dad's lap and I would play LucasArts adventure games. Oh. And I've been told that some teachers in my primary school weren't too happy that I'd taken separate reading lessons and those reading lessons came from Monkey Island 2 <laughs> and Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis before my official ones. I remember... Um, That's amazing. I remember in primary... See, they say video games are bad. <laughs> you learn things. It was primary three or primary four. There was a teacher called Mr McDonald who had taken this really nice way of making McCormick here a good bullying target oh. by <laughs> opening up the dictionary and picking a word and asking him the fucking meaning of it oh. and or, or how to spell it or something like that. Like, uh, words like obscure and then you would be like, yeah, it means strange. Oh, uh, I'm OB. just surprised. I'm surprised that a primary school teacher didn't know what obscure meant. No, uh, <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> And then he would, he would be like, amazing, I mean, unbelievable. Oh. <laughs> the reason that I think Mr McDonald had this opinion on me is because once in conversation I threw in the word surreal in primary three. And the reason that I know the word surreal is because I read it in a review of Grim Fandango. Oh, <laughs> is that in primary three? 
Um, uh, it would have been a teaser for it, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, very old scary memory. I wanted someone to talk about um, that I hadn't talked about it because I know Mick's played it. Mm. And I know Ruth is quite in a kind of puzzle adventure kind of games along those lines. So, yeah, I thought you might enjoy it. So, what did you think <laughs> of Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis? Well, first of all, I absolutely love point and click games. Yes. Like, when I was younger, my pure favourite game was Day of the Tentacle. I fucking oh. love <laughs> Day of the Tentacle. It's his favourite here. Oh, it's got such good, like, crack oh, in that in it. And then, like, when you go into the computer and you can play Maniac Mansion, it's, it's so good, man. So, I was kind of surprised that I'd never really heard of this before, the Fate yeah, of Atlantis. Yeah, they don't talk about it as much as, like, your Day of the Tentacle. Sam and Max and Monkey Island, that sort of thing. It was never part of your kind of repertoire back in the day, I guess. Yeah, so I was like, alright, okay, a point and click game. And I didn't really know what I expect. And then, like, as soon as you... The wee opening sequence is so fucking cool. Like, you're Indiana Jones and you're, like, you just think, oh, I'm in a temple. And then you start picking stuff up and you fall into different rooms and the music <laughs> starts and it's that pure amazing theme tune. The da-da-da-da. And you're like, oh, here we go, lads. Well, like, opening fuck credits off. are playing. Yeah, you play the fucking it's, it's opening credits. It's absolutely cracking. And then it gives you a, a great, like feel of what the humour of the game is just straight away you're kind of like right this isn't just going to be a pure straightforward game it has that pure LucasArts humour you know like and uh, like in Day of the Tentacle as well, where it's like George Washington and he's looking out the window and <laughs> yeah. it's like he sounds like he sounds like Brainy Gremlin. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And you need to like paint it so it's a cherry tree. It's, uh, it's like that kind of funny humour. And then you find out you're not on a temple. You're just in like uh, you're the, in your, the, the attic of a, a university. Uh -huh, so yeah, you fall down and at the end you're just in the, the university. But there's a Nazi there. Oh, of course there is. Yeah. And, uh -huh. Like it sets up within the first five uh -huh. minutes of the Nazis are like the fucking bad. These are the baddies, you've got this statue, he's nicked a bead out of the statue, and then of course, as as it is when Diana Jones introduces like your wee kinda love interest. Yep, so, Sophia Hapgood. Yeah, Sophia Hapgood. So the first thing you kinda need to do is go into her show and she's a bit of a kinda charlatan. She's I think a, Sophia's she's a charlatan <laughs> as well. She's a, a bit of a, a psychic or is it a question. Yeah. Like um, yeah. And then I actually I fucked up a wee bit because the first time I played it I never saved it properly and I actually had to go back and do it again. It's that it. old the old F one, you know. <laughs> I didn't know and you told me this that the first time I I did it, I just battered the bouncer to get into the, the show. I just like was punching him and I was like, oh, so this is like part of the game because you never do that in the other point and click yeah. games. There's no fighting element to it. But yeah, so I just I just kicked fucking the bouncer and went backstage. And then uh, Michael was like, no, like, you, you don't need to do that. You can talk to him. You can talk your way into it. So I was like, right, okay, I'm going to try that the next time. I So it's just really good. It's good humour. I didn't play as much into it as I wanted to play it because as I said I was an idiot and I never bloody saved it properly and <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it again so the bit I'm kind of at or in fact I talk a wee bit about Sophia first because we were saying she has a wee bit of a charlatan but you really don't get like a whole lot of good female characters in games sometimes and I know like eventually like she's going to fall for Indy's charms or she's going to get captured or something uh, like that she's not just a damsel in distress yeah, she's, she's like Marion from the first time Diana exactly. Jones she, she gives as good as she gets exactly so. she's got a bit they've got quite good banter that's like one of the best bits of the game they'll kind of give each other a bit of back chat and she'll be like oh you're like a dog like, what is it you're, you're called after the dog guy yeah. like, <laughs> so she's quite good she's quite funny and um, I the bit that I kind of just got past was you can pick like between three like roads so you can pick the road of 
fists like fighting you can pick one where Sophia comes along with you and you can pick one where it's like harder puzzles or something yeah, yeah the, the, the whip path yeah. so that was that's something that sets it apart a wee bit from um, from other adventure games um, in the kind of LucasArts tradition so yeah you like can mo- multiple the, solutions mm-hmm. yeah there's a, a fist pass where you're, where you're doing the, the kind of mostly fighting um, which I don't know why you picked that because the fighting system is garbage well mm-hmm. I picked it the first time I played it because <laughs> um, you like punching Nazis <laughs> I, 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 I like the punch Nazi button yeah <laughs> um, and yeah there's one a solo path and I guess that's more kind of um, puzzles and using items and stuff mm. like that and then there is the um, the teamwork path mm-hmm. and there's a wee bit more I guess dialogue and like talking to people and kind of mm. using the teamwork team path seems to be the better one because you that's get more the of the flavour yeah. last time I played it that's the one I went for so like for for example you go to a lot of the same places mm-hmm. um, so for example after you, you choose your path you're going to um, Monte Carlo and you're trying to uh, find the person who has one of these stones that will get you into Atlantis yeah. I'm not really talking much about the plot I'll go back to what the actual plot of the game is is there a lot of pixel hunting stuff not really no, 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 no. not too bad it, um, there are some bits in it where you're kind of like you know, there was a bit where you had to take the screws out the back of the bookcase. Oh, I was going to ask that. I was literally like, because I'd taken out like four screws and I'm trying to prise this bookcase open and it's not coming open. I'm like, what, what the, why, why is this not coming open? You know, if I, is, do I need to go and find a crowbar or something? So I'm about looking. And then like after, I don't know how many minutes, just looking over the bookcase, there was like one screw left, one tiny bit of the screen that you had to put your mouse right. over. And That's I was just like, yeah, that, that was off. really annoying. Like, That's you know. the only kind of detractor freeze mm-hmm. games, I think. But some people like it. Oh, yeah. And they kind of overcomplicate Puzzles. I think that the puzzles in Indiana Jones, they're, they're all right. I think towards the end, they get a bit more like what what the fuck. Oh, it's it's when like you're just trying anything with anything yeah. else, giving everything to every character. Yeah, yeah. towards the end, like yeah, um, well, spoilers, but you, you do reach Atlantis, and it's like there are but, more supernatural elements. Uh, yeah, there, I, guess, so. I mean the the puzzles sort of it's more real world things like you know you're trying to fix a car, so it's like okay the spark plug's broken, yeah. find something yeah. spark plug, mm-hmm. and when you get to the end, it's like there's some mysterious ancient machine that's missing a part the shape of this is more abstract um but yeah what i was going to say there's there's a uh, a kind of replayability that you don't get from other um some of the solutions are randomized is that right yeah so the bit you were talking about i was going to ask you about that because Mm -hmm. when you try and find plato's lost dialogue plato's last dialogue is a a dialogue that plato wrote talking about atlantis Uh and um, that puzzle is randomised, so... So it's not always in the bookcase? It's not always in the bookcase, oh, no. Okay. It can be in the bookcase and you have to unscrew it. Uh-huh. It can be at the bottom level where there's the cat statues, mm-hmm. and you have to climb up the um, the coal chute mm-hmm. using gum to stick to the coal chute. Oh, um, that's a fucking nightmare solution as well. And it can also be at the very top, and you have to move a totem pole, climb a totem pole and open thing with a key. So that's randomised, and there's also mm. the, the three different paths. So, like, for example, um, when you go to Monte Carlo, when you have Sophia, you do the bit, which I think is Mick's favourite part uh, of the game. Where is this the seance? This is the seance, yeah. This is the bit I'm at just now. So there's a character... There's a character <laughs> has... Monsieur Trottier. Monsieur Trottier. Monsieur Trottier has a, um, a stone that will help you get into Atlantis. And when he feels the Nazi agents. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have Sophia with you, what you do is you are trying to convince Monsieur Trottier to come along to a seance with you. So he answers a few questions. You pull him up and he's... 
he's very paranoid. He's like, oh, tell me something about Atlantis. You may be a faker. Oh. <laughs> and, oh, how and, many how many fingers am I holding up under yeah. the table and shit like that? Yeah, so if you do it with um, Sophia and Indy, you have to convince them to go up to a seance and then while he's doing the seance, you, you wear a mask and you put a blanket over you and you put a torch <gasps> under you. You wear a mask? That's yes. right, okay. Because I've been, that's about I'm stuck at and I, I'm, I'm a spooky ghost because I've got my seat on and I've got a light. But I, keep, I kept going out and going like, woo, and the wee guy's just like, Oh, what is this nonsense? Like, <laughs> you know, if you're not buying it, see, and I was like, right, there's something else I need to learn. Yeah, you need and... to go to Morocco and get the mask. Oh, I see, that's, that, that was my next here. thing. Um, and, but, so that's how it plays out when you mm. have it. Um, it's got total shades of that fucking bit in The Last Crusade where he shows up pretending to be a Scottish count at <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> 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 Nazi's castle. <laughs> 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 was there a writer in LucasArts that had all this kind of wacky humour, or was it like a team? Because it always seems to be the same type of I think a lot of the things were made by kind of. I don't think Ron Gilbert was involved in this one, but he was a kind of mastermind of the guy in the Islands and that. Because it's quite a distinct type of humour and quite a distinct type of dialogue. It's quite clever humour, a lot of it, which is really good. One of the lines that set the tone for me was fucking. Um, Indy reads a newspaper and sees that Sophia Hapgood is fucking doing a talk or whatever mm-hmm. and he goes you know Marcus the coldest year of my life was the one I spent <laughs> in Iceland with Sophia <laughs> that's a very Indy one yeah. the guy's not a bad sound alike no, either no I know oh I yeah I, in the CD version so this wouldn't be the version I played as a kid but in the version you get on Steam is the voice acting and yeah they got a kind of sound like of Harrison Ford who's mm. alright the voice acting's actually quite good better than shit you to be honest <laughs> Um, but yeah, just um, what I would say about the replayability. If you if you are playing um, the solo Indiana Jones version, that scene can plays out completely differently mm-hmm. because you speak to uh, the monsieur and he gives you a business card, and then you go to Morocco. You do a puzzle involving a fez. You come back, and then there's a car chase with him, and you've got to get the uh, you've got to get the stone. Not really mentioned what the plot of the game is at all. So where this came from was there was a game that LucasArts made based off The Last Crusade, like the Indiana Jones film. And that was quite successful, but the team of that um, were quite... No, it was it was an adventure game, but more a bit more primitive. Than when you said game. where this came from, I was like, I too have notes about the Fuel Society. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can... I'll, I'll stop you in for that. But, um, but the team that made that, it was under quite a tight deadline. They were working crazy shifts, and they were like, um, do you know what, Like, they don't really want to make another Indiana Jones game right away. So they got in touch with a guy called Hal Barwood, and he's a he's um, was actually pals with Steven Spielberg, and they used to go to the arcade together and play games, and they both get involved working in the movies. That's why I make that fit the door in it. Know a guy that knows a guy, um, and yeah, he was involved kind of making films. He was involved in um, Close Encounters, and he was working as a producer on another film, um, but he decided that. Um, he was spending most of his time just programming computer games and thought I'm in the wrong job here so Steven Spielberg via his company decided do you want to be the, the director of a new Indiana Jones game so Steven Spielberg said we've got this um, we had this script that this guy gave us um, called Indiana Jones and the Monkey King and we're going to be making it into a sequel to The Last Crusade it was about Indiana Jones um, going into Africa um, and dealing with this kind of monkey god called Hanuman part of like African mythology and Steve Spielberg was like, I don't really want to make a movie, That's a, I don't like it very much, it's just not very good. Um, so he said, Jimmy, you can make a game out of that. 
So we started looking at it, it was like, nah, it's shite, I don't like the script. So he came up with a new idea um, for a script based on the myth of Atlantis. And the idea is that the, the Nazis are, they have found this material called Porichalcum. It's on the, the eve of the, the Second World War, um, and the Nazis in this on timeline have discovered how to make nuclear energy, the kind of early experiments, but obviously they were radiation and such, um, but they found this material from Atlantis that can produce immense power and they can maybe use it to create bombs, um, so they want to find Atlantis and find this material and then Indiana Jones is trying to stop them. So you're kind of going through all these kind of different um, locations, finding mm. these stones which give you access um, to Atlantis and then kind of confronting the Nazis at the end. Just kind of um, interesting aside, that the failed Indiana Jones and the Monkey King script was written by a little known screenwriter called Chris Columbus, who went on to direct Aye. the first two Home Alone movies and the Harry first two Potter, Harry so. Potters. So where's the representation of where I want this is, because that's always interesting. Oh uh, yeah, so... Is it in America? <laughs> <laughs> is it under Phil Mormon? Under no plot. So that's a kind of plot point of the game is that um, Plato, when he originally talked about Atlantis, described it as being th- like 3,000 miles away. But in his second dialogue, his lost dialogue, he said actually there was an error, tenfold error. It's 300 miles away, so it's somewhere oh, in the yeah, Mediterranean. Uh, yeah. It's uh, the Fuel Society, which was a. Uh, German society, which fucking oh, man, that's they hired, they actually hired the rabble rouser Hitler. <laughs> Hitler was never confirmed as a member of the Fuel Society. Them, However, if you look at the membership in the twenties and thirties, it's like a fucking who's who of Nazis. Like you've got fucking <laughs> Rudolf Hess, Hamler, they part of their belief was that the Aryan race came from this fucking lost ancient continent um, which I think is called Thule. Um yeah. they said it was the capital of Hyperborea which is fucking HP Lovecraft shit as well but oh. that was in the far north and populated by giants um, and the, the Aryans just, are their fucking descendants that's just a symptom of a treaty of a size skinning everybody so they look far away this is what made the, the Nazis perfect villains and Indiana Jones in general because they really yeah. were doing shit like looking for the spear of destiny um, and they believed in a fucking ancient lost <laughs> continent so I mean there's no reason why they wouldn't check Atlantis out as well I suppose I like, and actually there was a there was a sequel planned to this game um, and this is called Indiana Jones and the Iron Phoenix and it was about a plan after the war, for the Nazis to um, resurrect Hitler somehow. Oh, <laughs> and they, oh, man. So they showed this, they showed the kind of prototype at a, a games um, expo in in Europe, and somebody came up to them and said, like, you know, there's laws in Germany that you can't make a game about a kind of like resurgent Nazi party. That's just not going to happen. And it turns out that the Germans really love point-and-click adventure games. They were a really big market Aww. for the games. So you're so it was like, European market. You're just not going to have your mate. You're not going to have a European market for this game. So that that well, gets that's, that's the zombies in Call of Duty. Uh, oh yep, not yep, not a thing in Germany still. Still, still, yep, no, still kind of still kind of do it. Did you know that um, LucasArts? most popularity was in Europe whereas in the fucking yeah. states these fucking adventure games by a company called Sierra British were fucking humor. far more popular British, British humor humor. aspect wasn't it like, 
was very Sierra games you could get Sierra you could get like locked into rooms and you could die and stuff like that whereas LucasArts was dead fucking player friendly you couldn't really get to a point of no return was Monkey Island LucasArts yeah I remember Fandango Sam and Max all the pure yeah they're all magic what's the next example of Sierra one King's Quest Space Quest lots of quests yeah I think the British ones are a bit better LucasArts isn't British it's got a British kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, going back to the game, I, I liked um, how it kind of took a lot of cues from the film. They, um, they obviously were big fans of the Indiana Jones films and they knew a lot of things about it. There's they like, get the feel of them right, I yeah, think. Yeah, they definitely uh, Yeah, they kind of mix the comedy and adventure. Even you've got your wit and you kind of have to use it. Yeah, he hates snakes. Yeah, he hates um, snakes. Oh, yeah. There's a puzzle where you have to set a mongoose on a snake because uh-huh. Indy won't fuck with the snake. Yeah, exactly. yeah you talked about um, when you're playing a Sophia, there's always an option to tell people that Indy is named after the dog yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah that's pretty good I like how um, when you're moving from one place to the next it has the wee red line on the map which oh, is yeah. in the films and actually as well like a lot of adventure games um, as the world kind of opens up there's more and more locations and it makes you think like if you want to solve a puzzle maybe you have to go back to this place or back yeah. to this place and find an item that you missed but it kind of it keeps things moving and Fate of Atlantis yeah. cuts off the older places so you know I don't need to go back there anymore mm. so it's going to be one of three moving. or whatever mm-hmm. Yeah. you think you're going to continue playing it uh, you're going to finish it definitely I'm determined to do it without cheating as well like a hundred percent. I know you said there's some really hard puzzles. Oh, you just going, like, haha, you fool. <laughs> no, I, I looked at I looked at walking uh, for a couple of bits. There's a few bits that are pain in the ass. The bits that um that I remember from my childhood weren't quite as difficult um as I thought. The bits with the rotating stones. Well, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I think the rotating stone done me when I tried to play it the first part through, man. You gotta read the you gotta read the lost dialogue. Oh. I think you told me that and I still couldn't fucking do it. <laughs> I can tell you're a massive admirer of this game. I know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a kind of special place in your heart. Yeah. yeah it's right up your street, isn't it? <laughs> I was a kind of formative, formative memory for me. But it's so good as well. Like, see when you, you've been trying to figure something out for ages and you, you finally get it and it's like, oh, uh, that the, moment the where you're like, moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I don't want to be pure like kids today, but yeah. <laughs> like, you can just look up the internet for shit and people don't have the patience to pure sit and just try and work something out. Because I remember Day of the Tentacle and that, we were literally stuck at things for like months and months. Yeah. And then it turned out you had to like put a jumper on a hamster or something. <laughs> freeze like it for fucking uh, yeah, 10, like, just weird, weird shit <laughs> like that. But when you finally <laughs> Like, you were like, yes! Yeah. And I remember, like, I played Thimbleweed Park. Did any of you play that? I was, I was literally about to bring it up, man. Because yeah. it's got a good antidote to that. Yeah, because, well, I was playing that with Ben, and with Thimbleweed Park, you can phone up, like, a wee hint line, and they'll tell you, like, first of all, if in you're game. stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, it's it's in the game. Game. They, so you They'll can, give you a vague hint. Yeah, one of the characters has a mobile phone, and you can phone this hint line, and it'll tell you a vague hint, so it'll be like, oh, have you considered doing this? But yeah. the more you phone it, like, it will get down to, like, you need to go here and pick up this coin. Yeah. Like, it gets more specific the more you phone it. And he, like, he Ben was just pure, like, oh, we phoned the hint line, we phoned, like, literally, as soon as he got stuck with anything, and I was getting pure raging with him, I was like, no, that's not how you do it, that's not how you play quick and quick games. I, um, I didn't need to use a walkthrough for Thimbleweed Park at all. Oh, did P- you not? Pu- purely because of the fucking hint line, man, like... 
I use that. I, I wouldn't say liberally, but I use it fucking a good bit. Like if if, yes. if something if I was stuck at something, it also gives you a different way to look at things. You know, like it'll be like, oh, um, have you been to Main Street lately or something? And then you you know, all right, there's a shop there. I must need to go to or something like that. Like there's a there's a good article you can read by Ron Gilbert who designed the Monkey Island games and Thimbleweed Park, mm-hmm. um, and he wrote this in 1989 talking about his kind of design philosophy. And he got a lot of this stuff. Like he he got the fact that how you should design puzzles, like, you know, you shouldn't get, um, you shouldn't figure out the the solution before you've seen the puzzle, mm-hmm. um, you should kind of, like, limit players' options so they don't have too many options to frustrate them, so he knew how to design a game like that, um, but I think the folk that came after him maybe didn't, like, mm-hmm. in the same yeah. way, like, they, they kind of uh, just made things that end up giving the player a bit of frustration. Yeah. Here's an example of a puzzle that might be difficult to a newcomer. Um... I feel like I'm spoiling the end of this game a wee bit. Oh, don't, uh, don't, don't yeah, then. Because <laughs> I really want to, yeah. I want to do uh, that. Well, the, um... Look at his face. I'm trying to think of a puzzle. I'm trying to think of a way to explain it without <laughs> yeah. telling me the solution. I'm trying to think of a less difficult puzzle. Oh yeah, there's, um... um you end up in, in Algeria. I say about Alcofor, sorry, it's mm. Algeria. Um, when you're with Sophia and Indy. And you're, you're trying to find a way out into the desert, you get a ticket to a hot air balloon tour and you get lifted up on the hot air balloon but the hot air balloon is attached to the ground by a rope. Right. So what you do is you go um, and you speak to a knife thrower and you convince the beer to be a, a, a test kind of <laughs> guinea pig on this knife thrower's um, mission and then get a free knife and then you can go up on the, the tour Cut her open, then you're free. Oh, okay. So yeah, you're going to be looking about for a pair of scissors for a long time. Yeah, yeah. That's what It's got the fucking movie feel. It's yeah. got like, uh, like any any yeah. final thoughts, Ruth? No, I think they really nailed it. It definitely felt like an Indiana Jones game. From what I've played so far, the humour's been good. It's been quite a good level of difficulty so far where it's not been impossible and it's not been like hiding a really obscure object somewhere um so apart from I, the screw the screw yeah the screw <laughs> thing was quite annoying there was some other bits that i was like oh you know like when you were saying about going backwards and forwards yeah. on the map that can get a bit tedious because you're kind of like oh have i picked this up yet you know because the yeah. start there's only four locations but there was a bit of coal or something I picked up and I was I never ended up using it, you know, so That's that's a randomized. Oh that's like yeah, okay, uh, right. I've got coal in my inventory as well, yeah. I don't know what it's for. So uh, overall I think it was really good. I'm definitely gonna keep playing it. So And the very final thing I wanted to say, just a mm. wee tidbit, one of the very first games I well I saw the very first adventure game that LucasArts made was a game based on the movie Labyrinth. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's any good, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's quite C64 looking. I think it might be a text adventure. Right, well, that brings us on to the final game of the evening. Andy Mack, why did you pick Shenmue for myself? Okay, a bit of backstory. Uh, it was released probably about the same time as Grand Theft Auto 3, I think, and it came out for the Dreamcast. And I got a PlayStation 2 in, um, at a time when it just came out, there, there wasn't many games on it. There was like Titan Tag and <laughs> Kessing and stuff like that, and there was nothing <laughs> really on it. But, um, so I saved up and got a Dreamcast out of GeForce, and one of the games I got with it was this game called Shenmue. So it was this. But I kind of left it to one side and played Sonic for a while. So one day I tossed the disc in and ended up being this kind of mad, kind of revenge based Japanese epic. 
about a, a guy who watches his dad dying in front of him and uh, swears revenge at all costs um, and it sort of snowballs there and um, it becomes like you're part of this town and you start to get to know everybody and everybody's got their own sort of routines and while you're investigating your dad's death asking um, if they've seen anybody or seen anybody that might have been there you know everybody's kind of inconvenienced by your questions and stuff <laughs> and it becomes this kind of crazy detective game but with martial arts experts as well so you could be looking for information on the car that pulled up the day your dad died and then like somebody will jump out of trees and you've got to fight him on his spot and stuff <laughs> and it ends up becoming like this old kung fu movie where you meet various like kung fu masters who is like homeless guys and stuff and they'll teach you moves to progress in the story and stuff like it's one of your favourites isn't it ah it's a great it's, it's a great it's different it's completely different Everybody was playing GTA 3 at the time and I was playing this. Both are open world games. Well, those were the two original open world games that was pretty innovative. But they, they came out it completely different. Like, this game is more immersive, whereas other open world games are merely like having a sandbox you can just jump about mental on. GTA 3, your way of interacting with the world is stealing cars and shooting people, whereas Shemu, you interact with your town, you've been talking to people. Yeah, you're, you're stuck in a helping town. people. You're stuck in a small town um, and basically you can. Go into the outskirts of the town and speak to your neighbours and stuff like that. Help what the rains look after this wee cat and stuff. <laughs> um, and you can venture into a town centre, which isn't very much different for Greenwood Town Centre, as you pointed out one time. <laughs> well, are you... all the shops shut? I'm going to touch on all, all that as well. I, I fucking loved it. When I hear people talking about it, um, I've not heard anybody describe it as a detective game. I mean, you certainly didn't before I started using that term. <laughs> but, yeah, you start off, you're this kid fucking Rio Hazuki, as Andy says, you see your dad getting killed. Um, you're a martial arts expert. You're a martial arts expert. Well, you're a novice. If, if you're following the, the standard Kung Fu movie formula, there's a fucking kind of rogue martial artist who kills a master, and then a novice crosses a threshold, goes on the rain fucking yeah. journey of enlightenment. Uh, revenge. So, off the bat, man, I'm taking the fucking hero with a thousand faces after you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the past three episodes now. <laughs> uh, applies to every story, but okay. Um, the first thing I thought to do was you've got your notepad, and in the front of it, there's phone numbers written, and there's, there was a number for the Japanese police, and I was like, well, I'll, I'll phone them up and we'll find out how inefficient they are. <laughs> Rio Hazuki refuses to even fucking phone them. He goes, nah. <laughs> What are they bastards going to do? I'm all grass. So he had me on side from pretty much day one. I like the notepad. You open the notepad and it's like, Landy, long green jacket, killed my dad. Chinese? Question mark. Yeah. There's a lot of things that don't translate very well for Japanese to. Where, where do Chinese people hang out and things like that? Like, yeah. But you live in um, a, a yoga, the place where it's based is called Yokosuka. And it's, again, look, you know, it's a full city, town. Uh, um, city in the shadow of Mount Fuji. It's, it's where a lot of military say. Like, uh, American like, sailors and stuff, it's an American base. Yeah. Um, so, one of your missions is you've got to go looking for sailors to find well, that's them. Well, that's, that's a famous, famous well known thing because you've got to go looking for sailors. Hello, do you know where I can find sailors? In Japanese, I can imagine going like this. Alright, Mick, uh, listen, do you know where sailors hang about because they killed my dad and that, right? Yeah. But um, this is the way it comes across in Shenmue, yeah, with the dialectic thing. Very stilted. Do you know anywhere where sailors hang around? Hmm. Sailors, yes. Yeah, sailors. I believe I have spoke with some sailors. Ah, right. 
Take me to those sailors. <laughs> okay. The similarities with Greenock maybe um as apparent off the bat. So <laughs> what I was going to say is the the immersion in the game is really good. So I. Never been to Japan myself. Um, the first thing you <laughs> effectively you were there. The, the first thing that you're presented with is just Ryo Hazuki's house, and there are all these sliding paper doors everywhere, and everything in the house is segmented apart. You, you can get you can get, get lost. You can get lost in his house very yeah. easily. <laughs> um, every door opens. There's a Sega Saturn. Isn't yeah, it? You, you can you can look at every in, little. In 1986. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and Sonic wasn't invented, but you can get Sonic catch up on things. So there's that and just wandering about the tune, if you look at the YouTube videos side by side, they fucking nailed it. Like this guy based it on actual streets and actual shops that were there. I read that that there's a weather system in the game and they actually looked up meteorological records for what the weather was like in 1986. So if it's the 4th of July and it's rainy in Yogasuga in the game, it's fucking rainy. when, When you complete it, there's this thing called Magic Weather Game. And when you play Magic Weather game, you get pinpoint accurate weather for Yokosuka <laughs> on each fucking day that it was. Yeah, so yeah, it I like, say, it? And it used to be able to like, see what weather it was in Japan at the time. And transfer <laughs> that to your game. That's incredible. So, but it's a kind of skewed version like, of Japan because like, where you might see Coca Cola, it's as if like, Sega AM2 is like the Zeitgeist. Yeah. Everywhere <laughs> <laughs> you go, it's like it. It's either where you'd normally see it in a bus shelter, um, Coca-Cola. Like you'd see for Space Harry or something. Fuck you, I fight too. Jet Cola. So you're chasing down leads. Have you seen a black car anywhere? Okay. I saw guys in suits driving the car, all right. Um, I heard one of the guys speaking Chinese, blah, blah, blah. You're just following breadcrumb after breadcrumb, mm. kind of following leads. The, those parts of the game felt a wee bit like broken sword to me ah. or um, what I was kind of thinking when you were saying about early um, in Fate of Atlantis yeah. you know or there's a car not working it needs a spark plug mm-hmm. the puzzles kind of follow that do you know ah. what I mean they are not going to burst your fucking head thinking about them and usually when you, you talk about detective work but usually it's pretty um, it's kind of over explained to yes. you talk almost. to this person talk to that yeah. person I just um because I was watching some of the cutscenes for the game, I've not played it myself, but um, the bit where you go to the Chinese restaurant and they talk about the three blades, like, they're making sure that you understand what the three blades are. One of them's a barber, uh, one yeah. of them's a fucking it says, chef. Um, what, like, do you know anything about the three blades? Um, yes, um, the three blades were the three professions that many Chinese yes, migrants in well Japan um, had. So there was, um, there was tailors, there was barbers, and there was chefs. And at that point, you're like, Okay, I get it, right, three blades, they all use blades, um, so I should maybe check out the various shops, various barber yeah. shops owned by Chinese owners, but they keep going, they have it almost like, because, because the barber uses scissors, yeah. and the tailor uses... And they were often agents of the Emperor of China, and they no. talk of fucking uh, yeah. So, so to be clear, you're saying that there's three blades, and that's because the butcher uses the cleaver. <laughs> that's that's why the game is linked to, like... They see a lot of people with autism like this game. <laughs> <laughs> the reason, the reason is, I, 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 I totally linked it to spectrum behaviour on your part. See, yeah, see when I talk like, to, see when I think he goes, I need to go and ask some Chinese person. He just, he's got Chinese person in his head. But when he goes to see a Chinese person and he's asking about like, that's like, I'm not a Chinese guy. He's like, I'm a bit of a I was born here, aren't And then the woman comes out, um, the older woman, and yeah. she says, maybe, maybe he's looking for your dad. Yeah. 
And so he directs him to his dad, like, ah, don't see my dad, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Because of my eyes, it's because of my appearance, that's what you're asking, you know, and I think we'll learn something from that. Yeah. Like, oh, this is amazing. Like, everything makes so much more sense now that Rio Hazuki's, like, high-functioning artistic and all the town, yeah. all the town know that, uh, like, they know how to talk to him. That's what it is. You can't really have relationships either he brushes off Nozomi and every lassie that flirts with them <laughs> this was uh, the guy that made this game was the head of Sega EM2 that made all the arcade missions oh yeah you Suzuki is a kind of he's a like but a German hang on um, he created all the gimmicks and all the fighting engines and stuff he's kind of genius and um, this is his magnum opus right Aye. he actually wrote this as a book right and uh, uh-huh. it's got 20 I think it's 23 chapters and this is only the first chapter right <laughs> but what, what it does is um, it, I'm going to do some spot. well I'm going to do they do most of what happens no spoilers no spoilers for Shenmue 2 because I'm, I'm going to play it next but basically the the philosophy behind it is apparently that there's this the two mirrors are like a circle and they're always chasing each other and it always that's just yin and yang no there's always mm-hmm. one there's a circle where somebody always watches their dad die and then they pursue the person that killed their dad and they become the guy that kills the next dad. Wandy killed Iwao um, fucking Hazaki because he killed some guy in China. So, so Ryo's going to kill him. So Ryo's got to stop himself becoming Wandy. Well, this reminded me of uh, 70s socialist realism films uh, set in Scotland. <laughs> Ken, Ken Loach. Um, well, particularly just a boys game, which is also about a self-perpetuating cycle of violence. What, what, what you realise is, see when you start to get in amongst the underworld and stuff, spoilers, at the start of the game, if you lift somebody and say, where's my dad? And they go, I don't know, I don't know, they put them down. Yeah. See, as you kind of start to move on and become like some friends with some of the... The real world is more merciless. He picks him up and goes, where's my dad? I don't know, and you punch him anyway. Yeah. So he just progressively kind of goes to a dark side. Of That's a theme that I kind of didn't realise as part of it, because when... Um, at the start, like, Rio's kind of dying words, it's like... Um, sorry, his dad's dying words are like, he says, you know, keep your friends and those you love close to you. And he disregards that because he's seeking revenge. Well, he's, 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 he's lying to his granny and stuff like that. She's going, Are you looking for their men? And he's like, No, no, I'm just going out and getting. Well, yeah, the second man like, expands on that. It, by his second disc and the second man, you're asking if he is really morally right and what he's doing because he just basically mm. becomes part of the underworld. I'm quite a spoilers, man. But right, nah, I don't want to. <laughs> and that's, I guess, kind of. Um, but a theme of the game as well because the actual story is this quest for revenge but most of the stuff you're doing is the stuff you're talking about playing football with folks aye, aye. helping people out being part of the community you live the full day so you wake up at about 7 o'clock and you get the full day to roam about an open world at your leisure interacting with yeah. whatever you want to try and advance the game and then you're back in your bed for 11 you've not got a choice goes, so maybe only ah, an hour or two time. each day is your, your revenge quest but the rest of your day is just you have being, to. Uh, being a there are certain quest objectives where you have to be at a certain place for say three o'clock in the afternoon. So you just have to fucking fill up that time with frivolity, um, going to the fucking play the puggies and the fucking. You're um, There's well, no gambling in Japan, right? I'm not this, this, <laughs> this, this, this was part of the thing where I kind of imagined you were drawing parallels to Westwick Hall Street because. Um, <laughs> Paddy Power. <when> you're, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that Noble's Amusements was, and that's ah, what the fucking uh, thing. And, um, so, like. There's always a wee guy hanging outside it in the morning in Shenmue. It does, <laughs> it does give you the, the distinct feeling of being unemployed in Greenock sometimes playing Shenmue. <laughs> you're just sort of walking about, passing the time. Um, 
um, you know, you go and have a game of darts. Like, Rio doesn't go to the pub because he's 18 or whatever and he can't drink in Japan. Right. But, you know, you, you would imagine that he was having pints and sitting <laughs> together. Everybody knows him too. Um, walk into a pub and the barman will go, oh, hi Rio, can't actually have you alcohol, but have a seat. Now. Sorry what happened to your dad. Um, <laughs> so, the game has a mesh of these detective elements where you're chasing down leads. And as Andy says, um, these kind of martial arts elements where you have to fight people in the Virtua Fighter engine. Aye, um, Virtua Fighter 3. There are points in the game where you have to just go train. In the early game, I did not bother with the martial arts training at all. I didn't I didn't really know what it was for. When you start but, threatening your granny and that, you've got to start learning to fight. Well, <laughs> by, the, by the time you get the job at the docks, where you have to do all this shit, like being a forklift driver, and you have to actually do your full shift, uh-huh. moving crates from one warehouse to the other. And again, this ties into that autistic thing a little bit because <laughs> you can get quite into being a uh, forklift driver yeah, in Shenmue really, um, really, really hypnotic yeah um, I, I found the, I, I found it calming uh, driving my forklift did we tune so but then you get into more fights and then you go well, hang on a minute I should practice my moves and then you notice that the moves level up the more you do them uh, as you're training right. and like the so it culminates in a big 70 man battle um, right. down at the docks uh-huh. Where there's a there's a character McCormick who <laughs> we've we've touched on this archetype before. I would argue that Guizang is a zero character. Zero ah, okay. So That's you know, Master Chen, uh, you, you might need to elaborate on so, that a wee bit more <laughs> for uh, <laughs> <laughs> Zero is this character in Mega Man who okay. shows up and he's got this long flown blonde he's hair. Oh, he's, and he's, he's a red he's robot. Like, like well, like, but he's he, he can do more shit than you. He's cooler than you. Is it is it like the, the the player looks at him and goes, "I want to become that powerful. Uh, so I like want Zethera? to be that character." He's a samurai boy too. Okay. He's yeah. like black samurai boy as well. So two years. Dude, but he wears this cool suit and he can mm-hmm. do fucking kung fu he's moves just and he's just badass. Like, yeah. and you fight side by side with yeah, him. This, him. Yeah, you, you fucking love yeah, him. Like, cracking me suit and that, and in terms of the more throwaway kind of mini game stuff, I get really, really, really into playing darts in Shenmue. Um, I got mm-hmm. a high score of three hundred and seventy-one on the Sega Darts game. I played that a shitload. Exact um, same pastimes in a, a kind of working class um, Scottish town. And, and in the 80s if you were unemployed yeah. absolutely I think yoga is pretty middle class man isn't it there's not much kind of going on Japan was going through a bit of an economic boom at that time why should you go to a docks for a lot of changes yeah, no. Oh, that's, uh, that's the underworld, that's where there's kind of empire um, markets well, going on. Show, I think you can see the I would disagree that Rio becomes more ruthless as you play it I actually think that Rio doesn't understand, but he's getting nervous. I think he starts to see himself as more of a protector. Like uh, with Mark, the character Mark doing the docks, right? Your union rep, or I think of him as a union rep. He's this <laughs> cool black guy that's like fucking just so the guy sad. to talk to in the docks. Like, he's just Mark, he's man. brand new. You, you back him up, and you see him getting bullied and stuff, oh, oh, and you, oh, you, oh, oh, you oh, he's, he's American, so you fight off people who are bullying him, and I don't know, you you rescue Nozomi and stuff like that. Uh, for me, it yeah, seems like his brother on that. And it seems more like Rio is starting to go. Well, I need to stop these guys more than I need to get revenge. Mm. Like he's he's doing it for different reasons. Maybe I, I won't. It's an interpretation. Interesting. I, I, I won't spoil any more. What I would say is that Shenmue Three is coming out. 
It's coming out shortly. Um, it's I've been a long, long wait, man. You know, we used yeah. to skive looking for updates and stuff so. in school, but that was years ago. And if they finally got a Kickstarter, um, raised enough money to develop the newest instalment. But controversially on PC, it's just coming out in the Epic Game Store, which like grow up now. Who gives a fuck about what shit it's on? So grow up, man. For, for me, there is no better way or no better time rather to get into this series. I'm a newbie. Mm. I've only just completed the first one. Yeah. You fucking bet your bottom dollar. I'm going to play the second one. In fact, me and Andy Mack are going to do a special about yes. it sometime on this. Yeah. So it's a it's a thorough recommendation. Get yourself yeah, fucking. They're on a Game Pass. They're on Xbox Game Pass. You, yeah. I, I I got them on Amazon, uh, a PS4 disc, and I had one and two on it for fifteen bucks. Yeah. So there's no better time than now to get in about it. By the time you beat one and two, three will already be out. You don't need to go through that anguish of waiting for the new release there's loads that fucking I could have said that I didn't but it's really just a fucking sincere recommendation get it played aye it's a good game man it's good if you've got a summer to burn or something you just get torn into it and it's like an experience rather than a game <laughs> Or all that meant just a couple of days at work. Do you think they're like doing this quite a lot now where they're re-releasing a game you know, that was out like 20 years ago for people like us? Because you know they're re-releasing they're releasing like Streets of Rage? Yeah. There's yeah. a new Streets of Rage game coming I out. Think like, and there was a new Sonic. Well, like, we've, new yeah, well we've, we've got disposable income yeah. now, so, so like they are, they're marketing shit like that directly at us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kickstarter definitely ushered in a whole new era of, of gaming, which is... There was like, a Kickstarter Toe Jamonero new game, for instance. Like, 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 that's basically... Yeah. Every Kickstarter, or most Kickstarters is effectively just like... Say to people, do you remember this game in your childhood? Uh-huh. Let's throw Would money. Would you like more of Let's this? Throw money in the development uh-huh. of a, a sequel or mm-hmm. a remaster. Do you want to go back to a happier time and play this yeah. game? We must have talked about that in the last episode because they tried that for um, James Bond, but no one, no one. Uh-huh. <laughs> it works a lot more with games than it does films. That's oh, if, they re- gosh, if, they, yeah. if they reboot the game, then usually you end up with a better product, unless it's Sonic Four. That was shit. Um, well, we're predicting yeah. it now. Final Fantasy VII remake. It's going to be pish, folks. It's, oh, it's going to be great. <laughs> it's only Midgar. The trailer looks amazing. It's only Midgar. It's, it's going to be episodic. Mm. Oh, fuck's sake. Oh, no, I'm right. not into that. Well, we are running on a wee bit okay. here. Ruth. Thank you very much for being our guest. I'm sure we'll fucking invite Pleasure. you back at another time. That's fucking cracking. And you want to plug? Yeah. Uh, no, it's alright. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, that just leaves the bequeathing of our games for I love that we the next episode. <laughs> right, okay, um, I'll go first. You go for it, Andy. Uh, right, I've actually changed my mind again, twice in one episode. <laughs> right, I'm going to give you um, a game I had for the PC. And okay. For one level in particular, that you know about. Uh, Star Wars Episode 1, Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. So, we're taking our first trip in Dynamite Nesdy to a galaxy far, far away. Uh, I'm sure it won't be the last. <laughs> so, the game I'm going to give Mick is, well, I'll set the scene in a way that Mick did in a previous episode. Um, you are 10 years old right. and Pokemon Gold and Silver has just come out and you say, Mum, I really want Pokemon Gold. It's just like, you've got Pokemon at home. And the Pokemon at home is Digimon World for <laughs> <or> PS1. <laughs> Alright, okay. Yeah. Aye. Um, I'll get a blast. Um, Andy Mack, you have been asking yeah. about Secret of Mana. Alright, aye, aye, aye. Forget it. 
you need to go one back and play Mystic so, Quest oh, for Game Boy, Seeking Densetsu slash Final Fantasy Adventure. But in Europe, it was called Mystic Quest. So not Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. That's something different. Right, so this is about like Earthbound, where it was the second one in the series. Where Saint Katamara was middle of the series. This, is the, this is the mother. Un- oh, it's right, so right. good. Right, I'm going to get. But it. unlike unlike Earthbound, I would argue that Mystic Quest is a wee bit better than Secret of Mana. For you're going to say better than Earthbound, I'm going to say get out. Nothing, <laughs> nothing's better than Earthbound. I really need to play this Earthbound. Oh, he's there. Right, Well, anybody get in the ad? No. I would usually say they pumped them all in, but I'm not going to because. Because oh, there's ladies yeah, yeah, We shagged your mom, we shagged your dad, we shagged your uncle, <laughs> we shagged your elephant, dynamite fucking Neddy. There we go.